So welcome to a one-off episode of Livewire entitled Fellowship. You know, um, just recently I realized that uh, in about 25 years, I've literally um, spoken thousands of times about leadership. I've written books on leadership, created even Bible college courses on leadership. And yet I've never spoken, I can remember, on fellowship. Which is odd because when you think about it, Jesus was much more interested in how we followed than how we led. Uh, in a different Livewire series and, and teaching, uh, I speak about humbling and exalting. And in that, I point out that the way in which we lead uh, is determined by how we follow. In other words, we reap what we sow. So you notice throughout the Bible that as people humble themselves, God raises them up and puts them in a leadership position. So we're gonna look at fellowship today. Let me point first of all to some of Jesus' words. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So there's an emphasis there on not words, but actions. Jesus elsewhere says, if you love me, you'll obey me. So I wanted to create just a really simple Livewire episode on fellowship. Just some really practical ways that you can be a great follower. And, and bless God's heart by doing it. And also uh, help yourself because as you learn to follow, so God will raise you up. You know, if you struggle to follow, then you're never ever going to successfully be in a leadership position. Um, I noticed from many years ago that God said to me that how I follow will determine all aspects of my leadership, including when I became a father, which I did several or many years ago now. So now you might be a little bit surprised on uh, the people I want to use as an example of this because I want to use the Pharisees, which may sound a little bit strange. Uh, this passage that we just read comes just before Jesus talks about the seven woes of the Pharisees, which we're going to talk about in a few moments. So what's interesting to me is that we need a practical guide, I think, to fellowship. Now, the Pharisees were in many ways like Jesus, or I should say Jesus was like the Pharisees. He taught like them. They, they taught about the same kind of thing. If you notice, he said to his disciples, do what they say, because their teaching wasn't, you know, wasn't that bad. And he also, I think, thought like them. You know, he was looking for a, a renewal or, a, um, if you like, a revival uh, in people's relationship with God. Um, but the Pharisees, of course, didn't do what they needed to do. They taught, they led, but they did not follow very well. So Jesus talks about the seven woes of the Pharisees. Now, what's interesting is we think that he was kind of connecting this to what's known as the seven sore spots of the Pharisees. The seven sore spots were something that's uh, been recorded in uh, ancient traditional Jewish writing. In fact, the Mishnah says this, the seven sore spots are self-inflicted and ruin the world. So what do I mean by the seven sore spots? Well, the Pharisees, uh, Jesus called them hypocrites. It's interesting because nowhere else in the Bible does that word occur. 
Jesus was from Nazareth, which was near Zipporah. Zipporah had a theatre, and the theatre had actors, and actors were called hypocrites. They had a mask in front of them as they acted, and uh, they had a little mouthpiece in the mask, which we think projected their voice or helped to project their voice. So when Jesus was calling people hypocrites, what he was really saying was, you actors, you're just acting. You're acting the part, but that's not really who you are. So we want to avoid that. But also the Pharisees, interesting enough, knew that they had an issue with hypocrisy. And so there was this kind of um, self-appraisal, if you like, where the Pharisees knew about the seven sore spots, the seven kind of Pharisees that were hypocritical. I'm going to show you a list of these seven types of Pharisees that, if you like, gave a bad name to the Pharisee um, sect, if you like. Jesus wasn't a Pharisee, but some people say he was similar to the Pharisees. He was part of this wider movement. And one of the reasons that Jesus was, uh, one of the reasons I should say that Jesus was so upset at the Pharisees is because they kind of, they kind of gave that bigger movement a bad name. So there was this kind of seven sore spots where they were highlighted, if you like, and um, I don't know, you know, kind of they knew about it so they could keep an eye on themselves. So let me give you these seven different. Um, titles. There was the shoulder Pharisee, the weight a little Pharisee, the bruised Pharisee, the reckoning Pharisee, the pestle Pharisee, the duty Pharisee, the fear Pharisee. So let's look at our first workshop before I look at some practical ways you can be a great follower. Let's look at these uh, ways that you can be a bad follower if you like. And I want you to look at this list and then please guess what you think they meant. So let's take a look at our workshop. Please take a look at the seven sore spots and discuss what you think each one means. What form of hypocrisy do you think they are describing? So it's a little bit of a guessing game, but it might help you think through what bad fellowship looks like. And then afterwards, I'm going to go through these step by step. Okay, so let's see if you got them right or if you were close. The first one is the shoulder Pharisee. This is the Pharisee who carries his good deeds on his shoulder for all to see. Bad fellowship is the kind of fellowship where you want to tell everybody about how burdensome your work is. There's an interesting character in English uh, church history called Smith Wigglesworth. And he said, no matter how poor I am, no matter how much I'm struggling in the ministry, I will always dress well because I don't want to discredit God or make people think that he's not looking after me. Unfortunately, some people want people to see how hard things are for them. And we have to be really, really careful of that. The other thing that reminds me of is we have to be careful of the hypocrisy where we're hiding what we're doing for God, which is kind of the opposite way around. You see, I think we should be telling people uh, the great things that, that God is doing in us and through us. I think we should be talking about the, the privilege. Uh, we should be going around great followers, people I've led who've been really, really good, are telling people often about the privilege it is to serve God. And they're reminding themselves as they say it. They use social media to share what they're doing and what God is doing in them and how blessed they are to do what they do. And I think hypocrisy, a modern version of hypocrisy, is um, something I heard about fairly recently, which really bothered me, 
which is the idea of people doing ministry but setting up a different Facebook or a different Twitter account because they don't want people at home to know what they're doing or they don't want like their future employer to know who they really are. In my mind at least, that would be the perfect example that Jesus would have used if he was around today to explain what hypocrisy is. This idea of a, a separate Facebook because you've been asked to do it to promote what you do but you don't really want people to know what you're doing. I remember somebody once on Pays who I often said to them, why, why do you post anything about what God's doing in you or through you? And they kind of came up with some lame excuses. And afterwards, I realized they kind of were living a bit of a, a double life. Now, that might not be some of us, but I think we have to ask the question, would Jesus have two Facebooks? Would he, would he set something up that was fake uh, because he didn't want people to really know what he was up to? I don't think he would. So the shoulder Pharisee is somebody who's a hypocrite because even though they're privileged to serve God, they want to show how difficult it is or they want to hide what they're really doing. Be a great follower. Tell people often about the privilege of what you're doing because it's more likely to encourage other people to serve God as well. So the second type of Pharisee was the wait a little Pharisee. This Pharisee wants you to wait while he performs a commandment, partly so you can see him actually do it. Don't be needy. Uh, sometimes people want you to see what they're doing because they need the praise, they need the recognition. Let me encourage you, the cream always rises to the top. You know, you don't need your leader to see what you're doing. Your leader will be looking to see what you're doing. And if you're doing a great job, if you've got faithfulness, if you've got compassion, if, you, if you're passionate about what you're doing, people will know and people will be able to tell. So don't be needy. Don't, don't need attention. Don't need to show people and make sure they stop so they can see what you're doing. The, the Bible clearly says that we should do our great acts of service privately. The only reason we should share them publicly is to encourage other people in what God can do through them. But we don't do it to draw attention to ourselves. So the third type of Pharisee is my favourite, the bruised Pharisee. This is the Pharisee who runs into a wall looking at the ground to avoid seeing a woman. Focus on the big picture. Uh, this Pharisee, this poor follower, is someone who's so concentrating on what they're trying to avoid or what they're trying to do that they don't look up and see the big picture. It really helps me as a leader when I have people who are serving who get the big picture. They're committed to the whole thing, not just to their thing. You can sell somebody who's committed just to their thing because when they're on, when it's about what they do, they're on time, they're faithful, they're really passionate. But when it's something outside of that, they're not. Like the worship leader who is always on time for worship practice, but never on time for anything else. Committed to their thing, not the big thing. Um, one of the practical suggestions, well not even a suggestion, it's just something you should do, is when you're asked to do something and you agree to do it, do it. If something changes, don't just decide to do it differently. Contact your leader and say to them, hey, this has happened. We didn't expect this. Is it okay if we change the plan? Is it okay if we change the goal? Is it okay if we do something different? Don't just decide to do it differently and, and not contact the leader when you can. 
The reason I say this is when I ask somebody to do something, because I'm looking at the bigger picture, everybody I ask, when they do something or don't do something, affects so many other people. I might ask somebody to do something and I tell somebody else that this is gonna be done and they will have it by a certain time. If this person doesn't do it, this person doesn't receive it and it doesn't help us in what we're trying to do. So is this idea of being a good follower is somebody who can lift their eyes beyond what they're doing and seeing their role in the big picture. Pete Baker, who's the National Director for Pays in Great Britain said this, I love working with people who are focused on the mission. My least favorite thing is arguing and complaining. So I love the scripture in Philippians that says, do everything without arguing and complaining so you can shine like stars in the universe. The key to not complaining and not moaning is the fact that you can see the bigger picture. You understand why you're doing this. And if you don't understand, a great follower will ask the question because they'll want to know the bigger picture. They'll want to know why so that they can do it with the, with the right attitude. You know, it breaks my heart sometimes when people don't play their part because they're just focused on, their, on how it affects them. Uh, we had a situation many, many years ago when we even lost an entire nation, two cities that we were working in because one person uh, took their eyes off the mission um, and just left and created a huge problem and everything just kind of fell apart. And they were just so wrapped up in, in their own kind of relationship with God, like this Pharisee, uh, the bruised Pharisee. They were so wrapped up in, in their own ministry, if you like, that they just didn't even think about their actions and how they would affect other people. So for me, if you wanna be a great follower, see the big picture. The fourth kind of Pharisee was the reckoning Pharisee. This is the kind of Pharisee who commits a sin and then does a good deed to balance it up. So the reckoning Pharisee was always trying to work out, well, let me balance things. I've been really, really good, so I can probably sin a little bit. I could probably do some bad things because I've been so great. Look what God's done through me. Or on the other hand, it could be, well, well, I've done this bad thing, but I'll make it up by not repenting. I'll make it up by just doing a good thing. I think nowadays, one of the problems we have is it's almost as though confession is seen as repentance. But confession is not repentance. Just because we confess and we acknowledge we've done something wrong makes no difference at all. It's a good thing. The Bible says in James, it's a good thing to confess our sins but it's no good if we don't repent and actually change our ways. Another way of uh, following badly can be when we reckon things up by trying to get other people involved. So we do something wrong or we don't like something, and then what we do is we involve somebody, almost like a sin shared is a sin halved. If you notice in the Bible, when somebody does something wrong, they're quite often trying to get somebody else involved. Another aspect of that is when somebody complains and says, oh, everybody thinks this or everybody's not happy about this, when what they really mean is they're not and maybe their best friend isn't either. Um, I remember Matt Riley saying that's one of the things that really annoys him, that people aren't honest. And so rather than just saying, I don't like this or I don't want to do this, they pretend and try and balance it by involving other people. Let's not do that. To be a really good follower, we want to... Um, understand that when we do something wrong, we apologize, we don't make excuses, we just apologize and we change it and we do it better. I love people who follow and who serve, who make mistakes. 
It doesn't bother me if they make mistakes as long as they learn from those mistakes and acknowledge them. What I don't like is someone who um, tries to balance up their mistake by involving other people or giving some kind of reasons that just don't really hold water. So let me encourage you, you can be a great follower, make mistakes, it's not a problem, just learn from them. Number five, the pestle Pharisee, whose head is bowed in false humility like a pestle in a mortar. False humility is no humility at all. This is when somebody's given a task to do, uh, but what they do is that they, they feel awkward about it, they, they feel bad about it, they, they don't like to do it, so they pretend to be humble. Um, a classic case of this is when you're following, you're serving a leader, leader asks you to do something, you feel awkward maybe doing it, so what you do is you kind of throw the leader under the bus. You know, let's say um, Jim asks you to do something and it's a little bit awkward and you go up to somebody when it's your responsibility, but you say, well, well Jim has asked me to do this and uh, Jim's asked me to ask you, can you do this? Or Jim's told me I must do it this way. Don't throw your leader under the bus. Take your responsibility. Humility is not false humility where you're, you're pretending uh, that you're nobody. If you've been given responsibility, accept your responsibility and carry it through with any authority that you've been given. It really blesses me when I know I can give somebody a job to do and even though it might be difficult for them at times, they hold the authority that I've given they, they, they've been delegated something and they follow it through. I hate it when they say things like, oh, well, I don't know why we have to do it, but Paul's asked, so I suppose we have to. That doesn't help me. It doesn't help them and it doesn't help the person they're connecting with. So be a great follower. I'll encourage you, take responsibility. If you've been delegated something, you now have that leader's delegation, that authority, go and do it, even if it's awkward and just have passion about it. Number six is the duty Pharisee. I'm pretty sure you probably guess which one this is about. Uh, the meaning of this is the kind of person who says, what do I have to do? It's kind of like the duty. And that doesn't really help anyone. Uh, Verena Thompson from Germany said this. As a leader, she likes people who are open and proactive about sharing ideas, questions, and problems. They're open, they're proactive, they're wanting to get involved. They're not hiding. Uh, one of the feedback I got from some leaders when I asked them the question, what makes a good follower? Um, one of the things that, one of the kind of like the pet peeves are people who don't share how they're feeling, even if it's a problem, they hide it and then they tell other people. It's very difficult as a leader to help people if you're not being told the problem or if you're not being uh, receiving the ideas that they have. So, a great follower is a proactive follower. They're not worried about making mistakes. They're not worried about getting told off if they share a complaint that they've got, but they go to the right person. So they don't see following as a duty, they see it as a responsibility, uh, something they get to do, not something that they have to do. They're proactive, they come forward with their ideas, they come forward with their complaints, and they go to the right people, they go to their leader first. Finally, the fear Pharisee. The Pharisee who fulfills a commandment through fear of consequences. Let me just first say there's nothing wrong with a little bit of fear. Um, 
by that I mean the correct kind of fear, the kind of awe or the kind of respect that you should have for a leader. That is a very good thing because it shows you have a little bit of humility. Uh, what's great is you want people who are not scared of you when you're a leader, but you want people who respect you and you want people who are not over familiar or being, as we would say in England, cheeky. So there's a balance here. Uh, I would encourage you, don't be afraid. Don't do things out of fear of doing them wrong. Do things because of the privilege that you may have in doing those things and because of the possibility and the hope of it going right. People led by fear always end up compromising. So I know if I ask someone to do something and they're afraid, they'll do a very weak version or a compromised version of what I've asked them to do because the main thing they're thinking about is, I don't want to mess up. The best kind of followers take what they've been asked to do and they do it with hope and they do it believing it's going to work. And even if they mess up, they're probably going to do a better job than the person who did it because they were too worried about what would go wrong. So I encourage you, don't be a fear-led follower. Be someone full of hope and positivity. If there's one thing I want to get across is most leaders don't mind people who make mistakes. We just want people to be humble, to be teachable, to be share, to be open, to be proactive. And we know as leaders, we can help people in that situation. Okay, so I've shared the seven sore spots and, and the kind of basic things that they remind me of when I've been uh, dealing with people. I've shared some of my pet peeves, if you like. So let's look at our second workshop. Please rate yourself. When you look at the seven sore spots, ask which one are you best at and which one are you most weak at? Then thirdly, which one bit of advice would you like to give to someone based on what you discovered? So when you look at the seven sore spots, which one do you think, oh, that's me, I do that really badly, or actually, listen to Paul, I do that really well, and what advice would you give someone about following? So I'd like everyone in your group, if you're listening to this in the group, to give someone a piece of advice about following. What do you think makes a great follower? After that, we'll look at one more short section of this episode of Livewire. So in the first section of this Livewire, I connected followership to one of the kingdom principles, humbling and exalting. See, God's plan, it seems, is to raise people up and to give people responsibility. We see it throughout the Bible, God picking people up who are humble, mainly people who don't think they can do it or people who thought they could do it and then were humbled and then God used them, like Moses, for instance. But then he gives them leadership and he gives them responsibility. So let's look at the flip side of this. Let's look at what happens when you're a good follower and therefore, because of that, you're given some kind of leadership position. I want to share with you a diagram that John Maxwell, uh, the kind of leadership guru, um, came up with in one of his books. I've often show people because I think it's really helpful to see. As you look at this box, you see two triangles. In one is the word rights and the other the word responsibilities. And there's an arrow pointing upwards. What this what this box is trying to depict is that as we grow in responsibility, as we grow and mature in the things of God, our rights become less and our responsibilities 
become greater. So I think this is a, a surprise for some people. I, I think subconsciously we think that the more you grow as a leader, the more you get to do whatever you want to do. Now there is an element of truth to that because when we follow, we generally have a freedom from choice. In other words, someone else is deciding our daily program, our daily tasks. When you get to a situation where you're a leader, gradually um, you end up sometimes with a freedom of choice. So for instance, most of my days, I'm the person who decides what happens. So I have this freedom of choice. In that sense, um, there is a bit of a freedom. But what far outweighs that is this, is this diagram. The fact is, as you grow as a leader, your rights become less and your responsibilities increase. The typical example I give is this. Uh, with Pays, we have teams of apprentices uh, and many of them are quite young, sometimes 18, 19, 20, 21. For some of them, it's their first job or the first real experience of a job. When you're a team member, you can come in in a mood. You can come in feeling a little bit like I've had a bad night, I feel a bit sleepy. You can't do that as a leader. When you're a team leader, when you're someone in my position, you have to be on because what you do affects so many other people. I can't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I'm just not in the mood. I have to be in the mood. My responsibility is much greater and therefore my rights are less. Another example might be, you know, we say now the sun never sets on pays. Uh, what I mean by that is there's, uh, because we're on six continents all the way from Vancouver, uh, all the way to say Pakistan and Australia, um, literally the sun never sets uh, without a pays team in a school somewhere in the world, which is really cool for me to say. The problem is that means my phone never stops. Uh, people are always working, people are always sending me emails. Even when I'm sleeping, my phone is going off. Now, most of the time I have to discipline myself and I have to make sure that I have a balanced life. But I understand that if somebody has an emergency in Australia or India, I need to respond because it's my responsibility. So in effect, what happens is that my responsibilities become greater and my rights become less. Hopefully you understand that. So when you're thinking about following, I want you to think about the next step. If you're a great follower, you will be given responsibility. So start preparing your mind for that now. With that thought, let's look at our final workshop. Please look at the before and after boxes. In the before box, right into the two triangles, what you consider to be your rights and responsibilities as they are right now. Then in the after box, right into the two triangles, what you consider might be your rights and responsibilities if you were given a higher level of leadership. So for instance, let's say you were a team member on page right now. In the first box, put your rights and responsibilities as they are right now. In the next box, the after box, imagine maybe you're a team leader and write down what you think then would be your rights and your responsibilities. If you're a member of a church and you're a volunteer, what would happen if you were maybe a member of staff or you rose to the next level of leadership? So just imagine uh, this in a scenario that would make sense to you. And what I'm looking for is you just to have this exercise where you can see the difference between your rights and responsibilities and prepare yourself for when God notices you're a great follower and starts that transition into being a great leader. 
Uh, hopefully this was helpful. It's just a list of my kind of pet peeves and some things I think about as, as when I look for great followers. Hopefully it was helpful to you. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye.